sorry. Hey, welcome to Creekside. We're just really glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. If you happen to be here as a guest, and this is your very first time, in the seat in front of you, beneath the seat in front of you, there is a card. It's a welcome to Creekside. We're just glad that you're here card. If you would fill that card out and uh, put it in the offering plate as the offering plate is passed. Actually, not the offering plate, the offering pocket. It's kind of a sack thing. Uh, that's all we'd ask you to put in the offering this morning. So we're just glad that you're worshiping with us. We'd just like to be able to uh, make uh, contact with you and get to know you a little bit better. So we're just really glad that you're here. If you have any questions, you could stop at Guest Central right afterwards and, and do that anyway. Pick up your free mug and, and a little bit of uh, pen and some stuff. We'd really appreciate if you'd do that for us. We're just really glad that you're here. A couple of other things. Immediately after the service, well, like 10 minutes after the service, we're going to have a like a, uh, a baptism uh, just meeting. Uh, if uh, We're going to have a baptism next week, so the service next week is a baptism, and we have several candidates, people that are interested in doing that, and so we're just going to have uh, like a baptism meeting to talk about baptism, what baptism means, and it's going to be upstairs in the youth room. So go down the hallway, up the steps to the top of the steps, and we'll meet you there. If you are interested, maybe you have questions, just feel free to join us. We'd love to have you uh, join us for that. We're going to be talking about that, and so then next week there will be a baptism here. That'll be our service. I'll be sharing a few words on baptism, what baptism means, look at the scriptures and see what it says, and then we have several candidates that are going to be baptized right behind me, so it's going to be an exciting service. We're looking forward to that. Two weeks from today, we're going to be starting a new series in 1 John, so we're going to be uh, working through the book of 1 John uh, section by section, so we're kind of getting excited about that. Our our preaching teaching team has kind of been working on that and we're looking forward to doing that and then uh, the last thing that I want to call to your attention is that tomorrow morning at 4:30 in the morning I guess we have a group of guys that are going to be meeting at the airport headed to Haiti so I'd like to ask those guys to come up right now if you could just quickly uh, we got uh, four of them here I think they're all here no I don't see somebody's missing so we got Bob and Norb and Rod, and Tom Baird was here, but maybe he's gone, so, uh, oh, he's getting a drink. Look at Tom, okay. Yeah, just right there, guys. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to just, uh, I'm going to ask uh, uh, if uh, Mark, Mark, would you come up, and Bob, would you guys come up, any of the elders that you come up, just lay hands on these guys. We're just going to pray for them uh, to send them out uh, for uh, this mission trip, and, uh, you know, we can't all go, but we can all pray and uh, many of us can give. So I'm really a big proponent that short-term missions is a church thing. It's not just these people that are going. It is for all of us. And so I'm just praying that you'd get behind these guys and uphold them, uplift them in prayer as they go the 16th to the 25th. So you guys just lay hands on them, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Okay, Father in heaven, I just thank you for these brothers of ours and uh, others that will make up the team headed to Pion, Haiti. And I pray for their physical safety. I pray and ask that you would give them grace and mercy. Spiritual conversations, I pray for the work project that they do, that they'd be able to get a lot accomplished but not be frustrated by the timing. I pray that they'd be flexible, understanding your timing and your grace, help them to bond together in a spirit of unity and a bond of peace. I pray that you would meld the hearts of all of the team members together and that the VBS that they do in the afternoon would be fruitful and effective for the cause of Jesus. I just thank you so much for your goodness and your grace, and I pray now, Father, that your spirit would work in our hearts 
as we as a church body can support them in our prayers. I pray for them to have good weather. I ask that you give them physical stamina and strength and good health. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus, asking, Lord, your, your blessing upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, today we are excited to have Micah Tuttle uh, visiting us, uh, missionary to Peru. And um, before he comes up, we're going to show uh, a little video to kind of give you just a feel for uh, his ministry. I know his wife Amy is here and several of their children, and they're kind of going through a little bit of a, just a transition time in ministry, but we look forward to uh, hearing from Micah and hearing from the word this morning. me to watch that video. That was our life. Miss those people. Thank you for um, supporting us over the years. Um, you guys have, have sent us financial gifts from time to time and um, I know that uh, many of you have prayed for us and you've written us emails. Some of you in come and visited us and um, we've been in Peru for 17 years and the Lord's really blessed and we've been able to start some churches and uh, and um, the Lord is, has really really blessed and it's been a, a great 17 years and uh, now the work is going on and the river churches are flourishing and uh, they're going on to evangelize and preach the gospel in other villages and churches, more churches are being established, and that's extremely encouraging. And the Bible Institute that we were able to start in the last few years is, is going well and uh, has its own administration. They're, they're doing well without us. And, um, and now the Lord seems to be moving us on to other things, and it kind of hurts. I try not to cry. I'm a tough guy. But um, the Lord is, um, we've been back in the States for about uh, nine, ten months, and the Lord's opened up doors for us to be able to preach His Word and uh, encourage His people, really promote missions, and uh, uh, also trying to inspire uh, young people, motivate and mobilize uh, young people towards missions and evangelism, church planting, making Christ's name great wherever they are, and uh, now the Lord has opened up a lot of doors for us to continue to do that, and uh, He's made it obvious, too obvious, uh, that we need to, at least for a few years, um, base ourselves in the United States here. We plan to base ourselves in Dubuque, Iowa, not far from here. Maybe we'll be able to visit from time to time here, um, but uh, we hope to try to start a Bible Institute um, where we try to train missionaries and uh, kind of couple that with missions trips to Peru, extended missions trips, uh, intense study of the scriptures and uh, trying to inspire young people and then taking them on extended missions trips to the jungles of Peru and uh, really praying that the Lord would do something with the younger generation. Uh, we've had the opportunity to travel across the country and, and speak in a lot of churches and and many churches are flourishing and doing well, and the Lord is doing exciting things. 
and uh, in other churches, they're dying. And really, it seems to be a problem where the, the baton is not being handed off to a younger generation. And the past generation has done such a tremendous job in so many places around the world. But for some reason, the younger generation isn't taking that baton, or maybe it's not being handed off very well. And uh, recognizing a need and seeing that. And so we really have a burden for that and feeling like uh, the Lord has opened up doors for us to try to, um, try to have some kind of a role, try to do something to encourage the Lord's people and uh, to see more and more missionaries being sent out from the United States like in previous generations and a younger generation uh, really seeing it as their responsibility to uh, evangelize their generation and to make Christ's name great and to plant churches and make disciples. And so we would ask that you'd, you'd pray for us uh, as we try to go forth in uh, these new endeavors. Um, open your Bibles with me to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Let me start actually by reading this. And this is really what we'd like to do um, in the coming months and years. Um, listen to this poem. I think it leads well into the passage. One man wakes, awakens another. Second one wakes his next door brother. Three awake can rouse a town and turn the whole place upside down. Many awake will cause such a fuss. It finally awakes all of us. One man wakes with dawn in his eyes. Surely then it multiplies. Revival. I long to see revival, but a true and biblical revival, not fabricated and, and, and made up. And I think what we see in Judges chapter 6 is, is the beginnings of a revival. And I want to try to bring out uh, several things in this passage. And I don't know how I'm going to do it in 28 minutes, but I'm going to try. And uh, just basically to give you a big uh, sweeping picture of things that I see in this, in this passage that I want to try to bring out. First of all, and you see this here, we need a wake-up call. And that's what Gideon gets. That's what Israel gets in this passage. We need a wake-up call. Number two, we need God to meet us at this, our darkest hour. And that's what God does to Gideon. He meets him at his darkest hour. Number three, we need God's encouragement. God encourages Gideon, even though he is the most lacking in faith believer in Israel at the time, it seems like. We need God's encouragement. He gently encourages Gideon. Next, we need God's presence. If God doesn't go with us, if God doesn't do it, if He's not at our side, nothing's going to happen. God promises Gideon, I will be with you. Love those words. Number five. We need to build an altar of worship. That's what Gideon does. He builds an altar to the Lord. Number six, we need to cut down our idols. So look at this passage. Judges chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 to start. I'm reading from the ESV. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. 
And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains, and the caves, and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. But they and their camels could not be counted, so they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And if you're familiar with the book of Judges, there's these seven cycles uh, that Israel goes, goes through over and over and over and over and over again. And they just keep on going through this cycle and, and different people have, have uh, kind of labeled, labeled them in different ways, ways. One way to do it is sin, servitude, salvation, safety. Uh, another, one that you, another way you could say it's sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance. But any way that you say it, this is always what happens seven different times in the book of Judges. Israel sins, and then God disciplines them and, and puts them into oppression under some one of the nations that, that are around them there. And then finally they come to this point of repentance, and then God sends a deliverer. And so that pattern happens seven times over and over again in the book of Judges. And this is actually the fourth uh, of those seven cycles that you see it. And, and you think of those words... Um, in verse 1, the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian. And then again in verse 7, it says that Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And, and there's a lot of things that you could say here, but for the sake of time, I just, I just want, to, want to point this out. Sin brings a very expensive price tag. Very expensive price tag. I've got so many illustrations and different people that I can, can think of that at one point were walking well with the Lord or it seemed like they were and then just something happened and they began to spiral downward spiritually speaking and they began to live a life of sin and it brought with it a very expensive price tag. It brings incredible misery with it. And really we see it talks about the hand of Midian weighed down in Israel. Really, you know, this is the hand of God in the glove of Midian. God disciplining His people. And it sounds harsh, but really it's proof that God loves His people. You know, God, He just let Esau run wild. But Jacob, man, everywhere he turned, God just disciplined him. God's hand was heavy on him. It's because God loved Jacob. He just let Esau run wild. God loves Israel here. And so He disciplines them time after time after time. And maybe you're here this morning, I don't know. But maybe the Midianites have just invaded your life. They've come in through the internet. They've come in through our schools. They've come in through the radio. They've come in through the music that we listen to. They've come in even into our church, into our families. And now, we're under oppression from the Midianites. And this is the state in which Israel finds themselves. And once again, sin brings with it 
very expensive price tag. Labeled this point the high cost of low living. It says right there that, that the Midianites brought them very low. The high cost of low living. Look at verses 8 to 10. God sends a prophet. The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel and He said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and I drove them out from before you and I gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed My voice. God sends them a prophet who gives them this message. And this is an anonymous prophet. An unnamed prophet. Some of the commentaries actually think it was Gideon that preached this. doesn't mention his name here. And then he goes and he hides in the wine press as we find him later in the next couple of verses. We don't know who he is though. An anonymous, unnamed prophet. He comes and, and, and he preaches this message. And it's kind of like a prophet? God sends them a prophet? If, if I get in, in an accident, a car accident, and, and I'm injured, and I, I'm able to reach my cell phone, and I call 911, and, and the dispatcher sends a reporter. No, I don't need a reporter. I don't need somebody to give me a message right now. I need help. I need an EMT. Uh, I need an ambulance. This is the situation in which Israel finds themselves. They need a deliverer. They need a Savior. They don't need a prophet. But once again, the fact that God sends them a prophet, it's proof that He loves them. He loves them. You know, if I told my wife, I love you, Amy, but I also love five other women out there. And if she doesn't have a problem with that, there's something wrong with her. She should have a problem with that. God has a problem with it when you're following other gods. When you've got all these idols in your heart. He's got a problem with it. And that's right. That's righteous jealousy. And so He disciplines His people and He sends this prophet. And once again, this is, this is kind of implying I'm sending you a prophet. It's because I love you. I'm sending this message to you. And it also implies... I'm going to send a Savior. And that's what He does. And look at who He picks. Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and He sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belongs to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. First of all, Gideon. Here we find Gideon, this man. He's doing cave time. He's in a dark hole in the ground. Wine presses, if you look it up, a lot of them, they, they put them in caves. You can't thresh wheat in a cave. This is a lesson, an Old Testament lesson in futility. It doesn't work. You've got to, you've got to thresh wheat out like up on a hill with, with the wind. It's been windy here. 
and it works really well to blow the chaff out of the wind as you throw it up into the air. But here he is, he's in a cave trying to thresh wheat. And I, I just think that Gideon must have been there thinking to himself as he's doing this, he just must have been thinking, this is symbolic. He just realizes this is symbolic. What I'm doing right here, it's symbolic of, of my life. It's symbolic of everything that's happening in Israel. My life. Uh, it's just, what I'm doing is futile. I'm not living for the Lord. I'm, I'm trying, trying to do something. Israel, we kind of want to follow the Lord, but we also really like Baal and the Ashtaroths and all these other gods. And, and you're trying to serve Yahweh, but it's just futility. You're not doing that. You're not really following Him. He just realizes, I'm not accomplishing anything. What am I doing here? It's really, really dark in here. I'm tired of being the Christian cave dweller. I want to live a life that makes a difference, that counts. He's afraid. Fear will destroy your ministry. Fear will destroy anything that you want to try to do in this life. He's uncertain. He's reluctant. He's hiding. He's timid. He's weak. And we're going to see he's really obstinate. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. This is an amazing statement. Gideon must have thought, you talking to me? Mighty man of valor? I'm not a mighty man of valor. Everybody knows it, and I know it more than everybody else. You, you call me a mighty man? You must be, there's nobody else in this cave. You talking to me? It's interesting. God, the angel of the Lord, is God. This is a Christophany. Pre-incarnate Christ meets him where he's at. I love this. God goes to his man and he meets him right where he's at. He comes to him in his darkest hour. And he comes with these encouraging words. God goes into that dark hole and he calls that unlikely man to an unlikely task. Gideon was not at all qualified for the job. But thank the Lord, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. That's a wonderful truth. You see it all through the Bible. Moses, Gideon, Joshua, Ezekiel, Elijah, all these guys. They're not qualified. But God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He calls them first, and then He qualifies them. God begins to prepare a servant for Himself. Again, the angel of the Lord here. This is Christ Himself, pre-incarnate. Comes to Gideon and calls Him. This is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The great I Am. The One who was and who is and who is to come. The resurrection and the life. The way, the truth. In the life. The bread come down out of heaven. 
Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Shiloh. This is Jesus Christ. And you think of all those titles, so many titles throughout the Bible. Jesus Christ comes and He meets Him at His darkest hour and He infuses Him with confidence. And He encourages Him. Look at this. The Lord gently encourages Gideon. Verses 13 to 18. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Stop right there. The Lord gently encourages Gideon, even though Gideon has all kinds of doubts, all kinds of fears. Gideon gives him three questions. He gives Jesus three questions here. The angel of the Lord, he gives him three questions. And basically, these three questions show that he has three problems. He's got a fear problem, he's got a faith problem, and he's got a family problem. He's got this fear problem. He, he, he's, he's afraid. He's like, how can... How has all this happened to us? The Midianites, they're after us, and that's why I'm in here hiding out. I'm scared. And then after that, he comes and he says, you know what? Where are all these miracles that, that all of our ancestors and our fathers have recounted to us? How the Lord brought us up with a strong and mighty hand out of Egypt. Where are all the miracles? He's got a faith problem. If God really exists, why doesn't He do a miracle for me? And then after that, he comes out and he talks about his family. He's got this family problem. We're the wimpiest family in all of Israel. And I'm the wimpiest one in the family. He's got a fear problem. He's got a faith problem. He's got a family problem. What's your excuse? It's almost like God kind of ignores all of these questions. Are you serious? Are you serious? I just said I'm going to be with you. You aren't going to see any miracles hiding out in that cave of yours. You've got to quit being a Christian cave dweller and get out there and take some risks for our great God and His great cause if you want to see any miracles. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about Bert and Colleen Elliott in Peru. They planted like 150 assemblies in the mountains, in the jungle, on the coast. They did amazing things. The Lord worked through them. And I've had the privilege of meeting different people, older folks from a past generation, that the Lord used in amazing ways. And you just sometimes I found myself thinking, well, why doesn't God do those same kind of things in our generation? Why isn't He doing them now? I just thought of this. You're not going to see God doing great miracles unless you get out of that cave. You've got to go out and take risks like that older generation did. And it might cost you your life. Get your own miracles. Man, I want to see God 
do great things in this generation. But it's not going to do it unless we get out of the cave, unless we take some risks for him and his great cause. Kind of imagine that a few weeks from this moment, maybe a couple of Israelites are getting together watching Monday Night Football in their tent, and uh, one of them says to the other, do you hear about the new judge? We got a new judge in Israel. What? You serious? Is he, is he from Judah? Maybe from Benjamin? No, he's from Manasseh. What? From Manasseh? The least, can any, can any good thing come out of Manasseh? Yeah, he's, he's from Manasseh. He's actually from the weakest clan and the, and the weakest family. He's the weakest one of the family. His name's Gideon. What? you got to be kidding me. How did he get this strength to be the judge to lead Israel now? Out from under the oppression to the Midianites. How'd this happen? They say that the angel of the Lord appeared to him and he looked strength right into his bones. Look at verse 14. And the Lord turned to him. This version ESV, I don't like it right there. A lot of versions say that the Lord turned to him. The King James Version, the American Stand, New American Standard Version, all the versions in Spanish, and I don't know Hebrew, so I don't know, but those other versions say, he looked at him. The angel of the Lord turned to Gideon, and he looked at him eye to eye. And this is what he said. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? He looked that strength right into him. Go in this strength of yours, but I don't have any strength. You're right. God does, and He just gave it to you. He looked it into him. I love that. And every single one of these excuses that Gideon has, I'm afraid. I don't have very strong faith. My family's the weakest. Every time Jesus answers, or the angel of the Lord answers him saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Something about his presence. Do I not send you? He looked that strength right into him. So despite all the excuses, God is going to make this man into a champion. He's going to make him into a hero, an overcomer. He's going to make this man into a conqueror, a deliverer, a reformer. Revival is going to start with this man, the weakest man from his family, from the weakest clan, from the weakest of the tribes in Israel. God does it. And He calls him a mighty man of valor. I think that those words, when the angel of the Lord said, you mighty man of valor, it must have just sparked boldness into his bones. Maybe he didn't quite believe it at the moment, but I just imagine those words ringing in his ears for months after that, maybe years. Mighty man of valor. God said that to me. God said that to me. And you just start to, yeah, yeah. Not because of me, but God is with me. 
He looked that strength into me. Yeah! And those words ringing in his ears for the rest of his life. It was going to take a while still. He's still afraid. He's controlled by fear. He's paralyzed by fear. He still has this, this willful weakness about him. But God, you see him through this passage, God kind of begins to melt him. He works on him. And he becomes, he goes from a man of fear to a man of faith. This was the faith of a man who is afraid. God uses the unusable. Secondly, look at this in verses 16, 17. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that is you is you who speak to me. Please do not depart from, from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will, st I will stay until you return. I just want to hit on this real quickly again, God's enabling presence. Once again, every time he answers him with something about his presence, I, I will be with you. Do not I send you? I will be with you. If God is for us, who can be against us? Jeremiah talks about God is with me like a dread champion. Love those words. If a dread champion is walking alongside you, I feel like I'm, I can take on the world. I can take Mike Tyson. Or who's the present day best fighter? Huh? Mayor, Mayor Mayweather. Mayweather, he just beat uh, O'Connor. Yeah. I could take him on. God is with me like a dread champion. Just the presence of God. If God is with me, I can say I will, even when I feel like saying I can't. And this is what turns him from a wimp into a warrior. And then look at this idea. He, Gideon says, listen, I, I want to bring you a present. I want to bring you an offering. So in verses 19 to 23, so Gideon went to, into his house and he prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put into a basket and the broth he put into a pot and he brought them and he put them under the terebinth tree and he presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand, and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And, the, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I see the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Just want to point out here, Gideon offers a costly sacrifice. He offers this present to the Lord. Kind of like David, when David offers this offering, he says, far be it from me to offer something to you that cost me nothing. And you think about the time in which they're living. They don't have a lot of things. He possibly goes and slaughters his last goat and then it says he uses an ephah of wheat or, or flour. If you look in the, 
the commentators talk about an ephah of flour is about 22 liters of flour, and they say that you could possibly feed 10 men with this. And so here basically, Gideon prepares roast beef and gravy and a whole bunch of oven-baked rolls with melting butter on top. Uh, that's like my favorite meal. Roast beef and gravy. And my mom makes the best rolls. And this is kind of like what Gideon's doing. Probably his family hasn't eaten like this in months. And he prepares this feast and he puts it out before the Lord. God, this is everything I got. But I want to show you how much you're worth to me. I love you. I'm weak and I'm frail and I'm obstinate and, I, and I'm the least qualified, but I just want to show you how much I love you and how much I'm committed to you. And he puts it all out there. It costs a lot. Do we offer God our best? What an amazing offering. And then God, the angel of the Lord, reaches out with his staff, fire comes from the rock. And consumes the whole offering. I think it's a picture of, this is just like an Old Testament offering, but God provided the fire. A burnt offering straight out of Leviticus. It's a picture of the gospel. Christ was that offering. And then another thing here in, in verse 24. Then Gideon built an altar to the Lord and he called it the Lord is peace. To this day it still stands in Ophrah, which belongs to the Abiezrites. He built an altar. And you see in a couple verses later, he, he builds another altar to the Lord. He begins to be a man that builds altars to the Lord. Where are the men today that regularly build a spiritual altar? Altar of worship. I'm not talking about building an altar out of rocks, which is, is what he does here, but it's a symbol of also, I'm going to build an altar of worship to my God who came to me at my darkest hour, who called me an unlikely man, to an unlikely task. I'm going to worship Him the rest of my life. Where are the men and women who get up early to build that altar of worship to the Lord? Or men who lead their families by building a family altar of worship? Gideon built an altar. And then lastly, I've got to quit. Last point. Verses 25 to 32. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take a second bull and offer it as a, bull, as a burnt offering with wood, the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and they did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. And you, you read this and you're kind of like, oh, what a wimp. But you know what? 
you would have done the same thing. I would have done it at night too. But you see, he's progressing. He's progressing along. Here he takes 10 men. Later in the passage, chapter 7, he, he gets 32,000 men. God brings it down to just 300. But it's this lesson in leadership. And this man, he progresses as the Lord brings him along. Here he's leading 10. Later he's going to be leading 300. But the Lord is bringing him along. And, he, and he's kind of melting the lead in his feet with the fire in his heart that God has put there. And here... It's kind of like in the beginning, you know what? There's one more thing before revival can start. You've got idols in your backyard. You've got to cut those things down. If we want to see revival, we've got to deal with the idols in our own backyard. And I don't know, I don't know what they are here. I don't know what they are in your personal life or in your family. I know what they are in my heart. I got this attitude problem often. I easily get down. You got to cut that idol down. Baal is in your own backyard. Revival starts by dealing with sin. The sin within. And you know what? Revival starts at home. That idol of Baal was in his own backyard. Starts at home. Starts in my home. Starts in your home. Baal. Baalism. It had kind of pervaded Israel at this time. And you know what? Baalism is alive and well today. Just like the Midianites, it's crept in. Baalism has crept in through music, through internet, through movies, through magazines. It's everywhere. It's crept into our own hearts. It's crept into our children's hearts. And you got to go and cut Baal out. Burn that thing down. In verse 34, after he's gone through all these steps, God meets him. God encourages him. God's presence goes with him. He builds an altar. He offers an offering to the Lord that was not cheap. And then he cuts down that altar to Baal. He clears that, his life out of the idols. And then it says in verse 34, but the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And he sounded the trumpet, and the Abiezerites were called out to follow him. The Spirit of the Lord clothed him. Man, that's what we need. That's what I need. The Spirit of the Lord clothed him. And you see, still after this, he's still a little bit doubting, but you see this man that's just progressed. He's a man that the Lord can use. He wasn't qualified for the job, but once again, thank the Lord, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. So looking back, we need a wake-up call. We need God to meet us at our darkest hour. We need God's encouragement. We need God's presence. 
We need to build an altar of worship. We need to get rid of our idols. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this story we find in Judges chapter 6. In many ways, the Midianites have invaded our land. Baalism is everywhere. We pray that you would infuse into our bones courage and boldness. Even though many of us are very unqualified, just common people, but called to an uncommon task. Thank you that you use men like Gideon. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, of Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would make us who are weak strong. Clothe us with your Spirit so that you, we might do great things, that we might see your miracles in today, this generation. Put our lives into your hands, asking that you'd help us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, every week uh, when we come together, uh, we take the bread and the cup together. And this is our time to look into the face of Jesus, to look at the Savior who holds out his hands with nails, nail prints in them. Uh, Jesus is our champion uh, who paid the price for us so that we could become part of his family. And so if you are a believer, we invite you to come up during this next song to partake in the bread and the cup as a way to remember Jesus and to remember what he's done for us. Uh, so I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to sing a couple songs together as we close our time. But uh, if, you, if you are a believer in Christ, we invite you to join us in remembering him. Father, thank you. Um, we are weak, but you are strong. And we just pray that you would infuse us with your courage and your strength and your might, and that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would take risks for you. Lord, help us to tear down the idols in our lives, to surrender to you, our great champion, our champion who was laid low on our behalf, who paid the price that we deserved. It's in his name we pray. Amen. With sin runs deep, your joy.